Hey, everybody. It is Friday, April 21st. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mo Shwanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Jill, I'm recording this from Chicago. A Chicago that was under tornado watch as of Thursday (laughs) evening. I'm glad that all is well and that we're able to record this podcast. It was really touch and go there. I texted you. I was like, uh, if power goes out, be prepared to do this by yourself. It was like we had some major hail, etc. Thank God everything is okay. And uh, we're good to go here. And most that's just in time for Earth Day tomorrow. Yes. uh, Happy early Earth Day to everyone. It is the 53rd year for the holiday. First started in 1970, where we just, you know, be good to Earth. Be good to Mother Earth. She's good to us. That's right. Get out there. Enjoy some fresh air. But use a bicycle to get out there. Or walk. I actually went for a run on Thursday. It was delightful. Yeah, I saw that on your uh, Instagram. Your first run. First run post baby. Congrats, Jill. (laughs) <laughs> okay, Mosh, <laughs> we have so much news. I, I feel Let's like we that's right. No more chit chat. Okay, here are the headlines. He's in. President Biden reportedly set to announce early next week that, yes, he is officially running for a second term. A SpaceX rocket launch ended in an explosion, but the company still says that this was a huge success. We'll explain. Charges dropped against Alec Baldwin in the shooting death on the set of Rust. What is behind this reversal? Overseas, the situation in Sudan continues to deteriorate as the U.S. preps to evacuate diplomats from the country. A big media story, one of the most talked about digital startups of the last decade, BuzzFeed News, is shutting down. A gas shortage in one state that was apparently preventable. And this is only a test. People in Florida not too happy about a test of the emergency system that went out at 4.45 a.m. Mosh, I would be very, very unhappy. Good morning, Florida. (laughs) Planning a trip this summer, the TSA is warning that travel could be a nightmare. Mosh has on the same history. Jill, a big day for one of your favorite musical artists. And it is Friday. Cheers to the freaking weekend. What we are watching, reading, and eating. Okay, let's start with the SpaceX launch on Thursday. The company's huge Starship rocket, the largest and most powerful rocket ever built, blasted off on its maiden flight. I want to play a bit of the exciting countdown. It flew for more than four minutes before tumbling out of control and exploding. Important to mention, this was an unmanned rocket, so nobody was hurt in the explosion. So what exactly happened here? The company said that it experienced a, quote, rapid, unscheduled disassembly, indicating that the rocket was destroyed. That terminology, rapid, unscheduled disassembly, getting a lot of attention. Jill, it's the uh, modern equivalent of conscious uncoupling, the uh, Chris Martin Gwyneth Paltrow term for divorce. People are like, oh, instead of calling my life a disaster or that I failed at something or there was an explosion, I'm going to just say that this week I had a rapid, unscheduled disassembly at work in my relationship. Uh (laughs) It's perfect, really. Right. Just like, hey, sorry, I'm having a rapid, unscheduled disassembly. Leave a message after the beep. (laughs) Meanwhile, SpaceX leadership has repeatedly said the goal of the launch was to simply get off the launch pad. So anything beyond that, they really considered to be a success. The company tweeting with a test such as this, success is measured by how much we can learn, which will inform and improve the probability of success in the future as SpaceX rapidly advances development of Starship. CEO Elon Musk echoing that statement he took to Twitter 
one of the other companies that he owns, to congratulate the team on an exciting test launch, saying that they learned a lot for the next test launch in a few months. Yeah, Starship is a very big deal because this is the rocket that NASA plans to return to the moon with. Uh, It'll be designed to carry both cargo and people. Again, as you mentioned, there were no people aboard today, thankfully, as they test these rockets. But SpaceX's ultimate goal is to help NASA with that moon mission and then to get people to Mars. It's a major partner with NASA. The goal right now is to put astronauts back on the moon in 2025 in just over two years. And then the plan is to station Starship and eventually other companies' landers in orbit around the moon ready for use whenever a new crew pulls up. So there's a whole plan here over the course of the next couple of decades. We should mention as far as Thursday's launch and then explosion, here are a couple of things you should know. SpaceX said multiple engines on the 33-engine booster were not firing as the rocket ascended, causing it to lose altitude and begin to tumble. That's when the rocket was intentionally destroyed by its self-destruct system, exploding and plummeting into the water. So the best case scenario on Thursday was a one and a half hour flight, a 90 minute flight. It lasted about four minutes. But again, they touted some success here. The rocket flying for four minutes and getting well clear of the launch pad was a success. And the brief flight produced reams of data for the engineers to understand how the vehicle performed. This is the largest rocket ever. The largest rocket ever with the most thrust ever. It reached about just over 24 miles, about 39 kilometers above the ground before the explosion occurred. So they learned a lot here in this launch, and they're hoping to get it right very soon because, again, the plan is to use this rocket to put us back on the moon in just about two years. Now to the alert that may have crossed your phone on several news apps Thursday evening. President Biden and his team are preparing to announce his re-election campaign next week. Biden and his aides have reportedly targeted next Tuesday for the release of a launch video. So this would coincide with the four-year anniversary of his 2020 campaign launch. Officials are telling media outlets that it is possible that this announcement could still be delayed. Biden, for months, has said that he does plan to run for a second term. But of course, uh, it's been a waiting game for this official announcement. His aides reportedly didn't feel like they were in any rush to officially launch the campaign, especially after those midterm elections when Democrats really outperformed expectations. Yeah, if you recall, there was a lot of talk of a red wave and complete Republican takeover. Democrats were able to not only keep the Senate, but expand their majority there. uh, And the uh, Republicans were still able to take a very slim majority in the House, though. So Biden's top aides, the White House, have quietly been under, well, not so quietly, been undertaking extensive preparations for a run. This is sort of the worst kept secret in Washington. They've been holding regular meetings with the president and the first lady since last year about this. The timing here has been the only question because Biden feels like he is ready to run and do four more years. So if they'd gone earlier, that would have allowed the president to raise more money for what will be a tough campaign, probably the latest, most expensive campaign in American history, billions and billions of dollars. Waiting longer would allow Biden, in their thinking, to rise above the political fray uh, as Republicans battle it out. But so far, you've seen Republicans, for the most part, hold off on running against Trump. So that really hasn't played out. So they're probably just thinking in the West Wing at this point, let's just get the show on the road and make this official. So this planned announcement would move the country one step closer to what could be an extraordinary presidential campaign. Jill, the word that we don't love to use, but has become the reality in recent years, an unprecedented oh, election campaign. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, he's not going to do it. He's not going to do it. Oh, 
He did it. I used the U word, unprecedented. Sorry, but it's true here. Let's first talk about the age of the candidates. Biden is 80 years old, already the oldest president in American history. He would be 86 years old by the end of his second term. Again, to repeat, older than any other president in history by like 10 years. Meanwhile, on the other side, you have Donald Trump, who turned 77 in June. He is leading the GOP field right now. If he makes it out and is the Republican nominee, he would be 78 by inauguration and 82 by the end of his second term. And then you also have this. It puts us halfway to a rematch. Biden's in. Trump's leading the field. If he gets through, we have the same two candidates that you saw on your ballot in 2020. The last time that we saw back-to-back elections with the same two main party nominees, 1952 and 56. That was when a candidate, Dwight Eisenhower, beat Adlai Stevenson and then repeated four years later as President Eisenhower defeating Adlai Stevenson. Jill, the only other recent rematch I can really think about of this level is sort of the Rocky movies. Rocky (laughs) 1, he loses to Apollo. Rocky 2, Rocky defeats Apollo. So this is sort of like the Rocky movies, Jill, but with like people 50 years older wearing suits and neither man running up any steps. (laughs) Maybe taking a golf swing. That's about it. (laughs) That's the extent of their physical exercise. Correct. Um, Okay, so what can we expect from a Biden campaign? He's likely to tout some of his legislative achievements. He did get that big infrastructure bill passed, which he would argue had a lot of help for the climate issue. Um, And this is a big deal, especially given the fact that Democrats uh, really had narrow majorities in Congress, at least when that was passed. Um, President Trump, meanwhile, though, he will likely be talking a lot about inflation and the economy He's already been out talking about um, his economic record pre-COVID. Yes, that's important. He leaves out the 2020 part and just kind of talks about those first few years. So he's all about literally saying, make America great again, again. And Biden's already been out there, you know, warning the country against MAGA Republicans, et cetera. So, you know, it'll be some of the greatest hits of the last few years, Jill, and potentially some unexpected things. And again, we should say here, this is not set in stone, Right. Right now, Biden is not facing any Democratic primary challengers. He has Marianne Williamson running against him, and he's got Bobby Kennedy Jr., uh, who allegedly is getting in. But in terms of kind of major Democratic party types, governors, senators, they're all staying out of this. So he is the likely next nominee. But of course, anything can happen. On the Republican side, we are still waiting for Ron DeSantis to get in. And then we're also hearing right now Chris Christie, the former New Jersey governor, talking to donors, thought leaders, others about a possible campaign in 2024. Christie, who at one point during the Trump administration was close to Trump, he was involved in debate prep for Donald Trump, even as far as 2020. He's been very critical of former President Trump saying like, enough of him, we need to move on as a party. The question for Christie, of course, is, is the party looking for someone like Chris Christie? Or are they looking for someone more in the strain of Donald Trump. And that's the bet Ron DeSantis has made, is that people are looking more for an aggressive Republican. At least that's where the party base is right now. So a lot more history to be written here. But as you start the story, look for an official, officially official announcement by (laughs) Joe Biden on Tuesday. Maybe, sort of, we think. All right, we have a lot more to get to in this podcast. But first, let's thank our sponsor this week, Athletic Greens. I've been using their AG1 supplement since the fall. The Athletic Greens AG1 powder is just one scoop with a glass of water in the morning. It's easy, quick, lets you get on with your day knowing that you've gotten more than 75 important ingredients, tons of vitamins and minerals, pre and probiotics to support your digestion and gut health. 
And what's great is they have a special deal right now for all you Mo News listeners. With your first purchase of AG1, Athletic Greens is giving Mo News listeners a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1. You can head over to athleticgreens.com slash monews to take advantage of this offer. While there, you can get a discounted monthly subscription or try it one time for just a month. Again, it is athleticgreens.com slash monews for this special deal. And it's really an opportunity to really start to take ownership over your health. Okay, time now for the speed read from the New York Times. Prosecutors in New Mexico. Everyone wants to get more sleep, and there are a ton of different sleep hacks out there. Noise machines, meditation, earplugs, which I do. But you can immediately transform your sleep with Bowl & Branch. We have Bowl & Branch sheets in our house. They're in white. They are so soft. In fact, we say all the time, but they really do get softer with every wash. And the sheets also come in a really pretty box, kind of wrapped up like a present just for you. They feel buttery and breathable to start. And again, as Moshe and I always say, they get softer with every wash. Best of all, it feels a little bit luxurious every time you slip into bed. These best-selling sheets are also made with the finest 100% organic cotton. They're completely free from toxins, soft yet super breathable. There's a 30-night worry-free guarantee so you can wash them, style them, and sleep in them for an entire month. And if you don't really love them, you could send them back right away. And again, they're made without toxins. There's no synthetic pesticides, formaldehyde, and other harsh chemicals. So sleep better with the softest, most breathable bedding from Bowl & Branch. Get 15% off your order when you use the promo code MONEWS at bowlandbranch.com. That is Bowl and Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. That promo code MONEWS, M-O-N-E-W-S, for 15%, 1-5% off your order. Are dropping charges against Alec Baldwin in the fatal shooting on the set of his Western movie, Rust. This is according to Baldwin's attorney, Baldwin had been charged with two counts of involuntary manslaughter. He was pointing a pistol at cinematographer Helena Hutchins during a rehearsal in 2021 when that gun went off, killing Hutchins and wounding director Joel Souza. Hutchins was 42 years old. She had a young son. She was married. Baldwin had said that the gun went off accidentally and that he did not pull the trigger. An FBI forensic report found that the weapon couldn't have fired unless the trigger was pulled. So what was behind the decision to drop the charges? It was quite a reversal. So a new team of prosecutors recently took over the case. And according to the New York Times, they reviewed new evidence that showed that the gun Baldwin was practicing with had been modified before it was delivered to the set. That undercut the prosecution's original argument that the gun could not have fired unless Baldwin had pulled the trigger. Yeah, this is going to be an uphill climb, this prosecution. And this decision does come after multiple setbacks in the prosecution. The initial special prosecutor had to step down. Then the DA was found to have a conflict of interest. So there were a whole bunch of issues here. Uh, We reported earlier this year as one of the charges was already dropped for him. Now, it is possible that these new prosecutors, as they're relooking at all the evidence, could file new charges against Baldwin, but some people observing this think that's unlikely at this point. Remember the film's armorer, Hannah Gutierrez-Reed? She was also charged with involuntary manslaughter. Those charges still stand right now. She was the one who loaded the gun the day of the shooting and was responsible for weapons on the set of the film. A reminder, Baldwin had been told that day the gun he was practicing with was, quote, cold, meaning there was no live ammunition in it. And that, again, would have been an uphill climb for the prosecution. 
to prove uh, that Baldwin was guilty of something. After the news of the decision, Baldwin posted a photo of himself and his wife on Instagram, writing, quote, I owe everything I have to this woman. He added, and to you, Luke, uh, referring to one of his lawyers. I'm sure his wife really appreciated that. <laughs> Jill, it was mainly about Ilaria slash Hillary Baldwin. He put the lawyer in parentheses. I feel like the emphasis works there, don't you think? How would you feel? It's just funny. It's like my wife, <laughs> my kids, and my lawyer. Thank you. And my lawyer. I mean, listen, they got him out of the charges. They've been pushing back. Like they were working really aggressively. And we should tell everyone this film is shooting again. Rust, it's called, the Western, is now being shot in Montana. The first day of filming was this week. And Helena Hutchins' widower, Matthew Hutchins, is an executive producer on the film. An attorney for the film says that the production will bar any use of working weapons and any form of ammunition. Live ammunition is and always was prohibited on set. So we'll see what happens with this armor, but uh, some good news for Alec Baldwin on Thursday. Okay, now overseas from NBC News, the United States is deploying additional troops to an East African base in case they are needed to evacuate U.S. diplomatic officials or civilians from Sudan. The troops will be forward-based to the nearby country of Djibouti. The U.S. already has hundreds of Marines nearby, including an aviation combat element known as Crisis Response Africa. It was one of the quick reaction forces that were set up after the attack on the U.S. consulate in Benghazi, Libya. Another possible response would be to bring in U.S. special forces, that is, if the environment is deemed to be too dangerous. So the military is preparing for a possible evacuation of the U.S. embassy or American citizens, but there has not been an official request yet. Sudan, we told you about it earlier this week, is experiencing major armed conflict in the country. The nation's military is fighting a rival paramilitary force. It's effectively a battle between the president and the vice president, each of them generals, and they have a dispute over the future of the country. And unfortunately for Sudan, that has meant multiple coups and civil wars through the years. Some of the hospitals in the country have already been overwhelmed by injuries. Hundreds have already been reportedly killed or injured. And many residents have been fleeing the capital of Khartoum, where the U.S. Embassy is. All right, now to a story getting a lot of attention in the media world from CNN. BuzzFeed News is shutting down. And to be clear, it is just the news division of BuzzFeed. Uh, the digital news website took the internet by storm roughly a decade ago and inspired jealousy from legacy media organizations. BuzzFeed's chief executive, Jonah Peretti, said the move was part of broader layoffs across BuzzFeed, with the company moving to cut 15% of its workforce, or about 180 people. He says some staffers might be able to find roles at HuffPost, which BuzzFeed bought back in 2020. While jarring, this news was not particularly surprising. Uh, years ago, BuzzFeed invested vast amounts of money into its news product, poaching top journalists from legacy newsrooms and opening bureaus across the world. But in recent years, the company's moved away from that approach, dramatically slimming down its newsroom. Jill, as someone who's been in the media for the past 15 years, BuzzFeed was getting, I mean, for lack of a better term, all the buzz. You know, I was at legacy media companies like CBS News, where we were looking at what BuzzFeed was doing as a leader in the digital media environment for some of the more traditional companies. There's been an outpouring of messages from former BuzzFeed News staffers that includes founding editor-in-chief Ben Smith. He's also a former New York Times columnist. He now co-founded a digital startup called Semaphore. He told CNN that he's heartsick about the news, saying, I do think it makes really clear the relationship between news publishers and social media 
is pretty much over, alluding to the fact that BuzzFeed's growth was really powered by platforms like Facebook and Twitter a decade ago. And that's something we saw kill a bunch of media companies in the last few years when Facebook basically turned off the spigot for clicks uh, and news coming out of 2016. So companies that were very dependent on Facebook for traffic and audience started to have real problems. The BuzzFeed chief executive, Peretti, who you mentioned earlier, does take part of the blame in his memo that came out Thursday, saying, I made the decision to overinvest in BuzzFeed News because I love their work and mission so much. This made me slow to accept that the big platforms wouldn't provide the distribution or financial support required to support premium, free journalism purposefully built for social media. Jill, I mentioned that BuzzFeed was all the rage. NBC invested $400 million in BuzzFeed overall uh, over the past decade. At one point, BuzzFeed had a $2 billion valuation. It went public as a stock. It's never traded above its initial asking price of $10 a share. Following the announcement on Thursday, shares of the company fell to 72 cents. And BuzzFeed is certainly not the only news organization struggling right now. Nearly every major news, media, and technology company has announced layoffs in recent months. Uh, The news website Insider.com also announced cuts Thursday. Moshe, how are we doing here at Mo News? We're lean and mean, but this (laughs) this does present the larger existential crisis for the news, which is you want to provide your news accessible and free to as many people as possible. And therefore, you're depending on advertising, right, to make that work. Depending on the ad market, the digital ad market is not always so great. You want to expand. You want to do original reporting, which is what BuzzFeed expanded into. And ultimately, that becomes expensive. The other side of the coin is you try to depend on subscriptions, right? Subscribers. Uh, And there has been some limited success among certain brands for that. And others, not so much. So that is sort of the challenge we face, and we're certainly navigating it here at Mo News. We're picking our platforms very carefully and what we do very carefully. And so that's one of the lessons here, uh, and also one of the reasons we're launching something very exciting here at Mo News next week, which we'll tell you more about on Monday into Tuesday. Mosh, it is so exciting. Um, So we will leave everybody on the edge of their seats. And again, that big announcement coming on Monday. Stay tuned, everybody. Okay, from the Miami Herald, more than a week after historic rainfall pummeled the area, South Florida is dealing with a fuel crisis that may have been partly self-made. Patrick DeHaan from the gas price tracking website GasBuddy.com telling the paper, this is now a story of runaway panic buying. It's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Motorists have been encountering lines. They've been getting panicked. They have no idea how to respond. And just like during the Colonial Pipeline cyber attack situation in 2021 and during Hurricanes Harvey and Irma back in 2017, motorists are now straining the system to the point that it's going to be impossible for the system to work in the way that it was designed. So lines started to form over the weekend a couple of days after authorities said that the Fort Lauderdale storms and flooding disrupted operations at a gas production facility in Port Everglades. So this is sort of like toilet paper in March, April of 2020, or how the bank runs went last month uh, that really knocked out a couple of regional banks. Jill, to quote Taylor Swift, I'm the problem. It's me. (laughs) Well done, Mosh. So that's the issue here. We do this to ourselves sometimes. That facility you mentioned in Port Everglades is the hub for about 40% of the gasoline into Florida and serves 12 counties in the southern part of the state. Jill, people have reportedly been filling up multiple vehicles, multiple gas cans, and there's just not the capacity to supply Florida with 200 to 300% of its normal gas needs. So everyone just take a breather here. There's not a long-term issue. It's a very short-term 
panic buying issue. A number of facilities are now back up and running as of Thursday morning, but about 55% of gas stations in Miami and Fort Lauderdale are still without fuel as we record this podcast. And then another third of gas stations up in West Palm Beach are also without fuel. The state is sending about 500,000 gallons of fuel to South Florida to try to ease the crunch. Okay, speaking of Florida, residents and the governor, Ron DeSantis, not too happy about a test of the emergency alert system that went out on people's cell phones at, wait for it, 4.45 a.m.? Oof. That's right, a blaring alarm. Just, you know, test the system while almost everybody in the state was sleeping. The Florida Division of Emergency Management sent out an apology writing on Twitter. We know a 4.45 a.m. wake-up call isn't ideal, winky face. We want to apologize for the early morning text. This alert was supposed to be on TV and not disturb anybody (laughs) who was already sleeping. Okay, I think this would probably be annoying on TV at 4.45 a.m. as well, especially for people like me that I like to sleep with the TV on just kind of like in the background. Um, But I guess that's still better than if it was on your phone. Yeah, you have to make an active choice, or I guess in your case, Jill, you make an active choice to leave your TV on. So you get what comes to you. It's true. I, I'm basically asking for trouble here. To quote myself, quoting Taylor Swift in the last story, I'm the problem, it's me. You're yeah, leaving your TV exactly. on. <laughs> Jill, I still don't know whether this is worse than the 2018 mistake in Hawaii, where everyone got a text message saying a ballistic missile was inbound. <laughs> Oh Do you God. remember this? I this forgot was about it in so five right years ago. And people are like, is this real? What do I even do if a missile is headed towards my house? In I'm Hawaii? laughing because it's so crazy. Which they apologize for. So that totally sucked. <laughs> but like there you thought you might have imminent death. In this case, you're just annoyed that you've been woken up, especially if you're a light sleeper. So Governor DeSantis says he wants to hold whomever is responsible for the text that woke up millions of Floridians. On Thursday, he tweeted, I have ordered the Florida Division of Emergency Management Director to bring swift accountability for the test of the emergency alert system in the wee hours of the morning. This was completely inappropriate. When I was putting this story together, Mosh, I specifically kept in the tweet because I like that he wrote the wee hours of the morning. Wee hours, swift accountability. So he has that, plus he's got to figure out how to get Floridians to stop buying too much gas so people can actually like get moving again in South Florida. All right, get ready for a summer of air travel mayhem from Axios. Airlines, aviation officials, and the TSA are all telegraphing an alarming message for travelers. Flying is shaping up to be an absolute nightmare this summer. Oh, Jill, do you have some good news (laughs) for us on this Friday? I have a couple of good picks uh, for what I'm reading. That's that's the best I could do. Uh, But it is unusual for all of these powers that be to hint so loudly that we're in for a rough few months and travelers would be wise to heed their warnings. Case in point, this week's Southwest Airlines snafu when data connection issues briefly halted departures. It's a reminder of how quickly a relatively small problem can cause big headaches. The TSA expects a potential record number of travelers to pass through the country's airports this summer. And it does come as last year we had the pilot shortage that continues. And there's been some air traffic control issues. We had the Southwest problems in December and now the Southwest problems uh, recently that, by the way, caused a couple thousand delays this week. Several major airlines are trimming summertime service amid these concerns, uh, especially when it comes to air traffic control staffing levels. The bottom line is this, since we all need to fly. I mean, I literally flew Wednesday. I'm flying again on Sunday and we're all going to be flying this summer. Prepare for delays, prepare to have to rearrange your plans, drive if you can, 
And as I always tell people, Jill, carry on. If you can stick to carry on, stick to carry on. It gives you the most amount of options. So spend some time as you're packing your bags saying, do I really, really need this on vacation? I am just relieved, Mosh, that you didn't tell us to pack our patience. It is my least <laughs> favorite, most overused, cliched term that uh, that TV news uses all the time about these types of stories. Yes, a reminder on the TV news bingo card, which we should totally create a Mo News TV news bingo card. Pack your patience. If there's any travel delay ever, it is just, it is everywhere. It is everywhere. Everyone says it. I don't know who taught us to do this. All right, folks, pack your patience. Like, no one says that in real life. I don't know where no. this came from. By the way, I like we both went to like school and studied journalism. No one taught us the phrase pack your patience. <laughs> it just happens. Like, it shows up just weird. It shows up in your scripts. Like, why? I don't know. But it's a mystery of the media I will get to the bottom of. Pack your patience. So everybody listening right now, you will now start to notice this. <laughs> and you, I hope you find it funny and not just irritating like I do. All right, now time for On This Day in History. Jill, today we start 500 years ago, 1509. Henry VIII assumes there the throne at 17 is. years old. It's been about a week since you haven't mentioned Henry VIII, so I appreciate okay, the reference. Jill, it's been a couple months, okay? <laughs> Either Henry VIII or one of his wives. True. Because he had six of them. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Henry VIII had six wives over his 38 years as king. He also happened to start the Anglican church because he wanted to divorce the first wife. So he started literally his own church, right? Jill, avid listeners of this podcast now, obsessed with Henry VIII. Uh, also saw Six on Broadway, the musical about his six wives, who you should remember, this was their fate. Divorced, beheaded, died, divorced, beheaded, survived. It rhymes. Jill, I'm going to fast forward uh, just about 280 years uh, to one of my other favorite historical figures. On this day, April 21st, 1789, John Adams was sworn in as our first vice president. One of my favorite quotes of his, he called being vice president of the United States, and I imagine this has not changed over the last 250 years. This was his quote, the most insignificant office that ever <laughs> the invention of man contrived or his imagination conceived. Wow. <laughs> that is how John Adams felt being vice president. So if you are picked to be a vice president, um, is that a compliment or a curse? According to John Adams, it seems like the worst job ever because literally your job is to be alive in case the president dies. Like that is the job. And over the course of the past couple you know, centuries, you're just handed like stuff the president doesn't want to deal with that he can sort of point the finger at. And it's, it's true even today with Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris, can you solve the root cause of our immigration crisis? Right. Immigration, the most divisive <laughs> issue in the country. Can you go fix it we, as we have record migrants coming across the border? Oh, Thanks. Not just fix the issue at the border. The root cause. <laughs> Get to the root cause of all the governments in Latin America. Figure that out. All right, on this day in history, we also have some famous fake news history, Jill. On this day in 1934, the Daily Mail newspaper printed a photograph they said depicted the head and neck of the Loch Ness Monster. This is probably the most infamous photo. It turned out to be a hoax, not surprisingly. And so on this day in history, we mark a little fake news with the Loch Ness Monster. All right, a bit of TV history for you. This week in history, Barbara Walters became the first woman to be named the co-anchor of the Today Show 49 years ago today. And sticking with NBC, I guess here, 45 years ago this weekend, the Blues Brothers made their first appearance on Saturday Night Live. The sketch was so popular, they made it into a movie a couple years later. All right, Jill, and we have our music history on this day 
uh, that we teased at the top of the podcast. Take a listen. One of Madonna's greatest hits uh, and still an awesome song. Incredible music video, incredible song. If it's playing at a party or a wedding, uh, I think we played at our wedding, actually. It gets everyone on the dance floor, especially if you come from a certain era. So this week in 1989, Jill, Like a Prayer reached number one on the Billboard charts. All right, cheers to the freaking weekend. What we are watching, reading, and eating this weekend. Mosh, uh, kick it off. What will you be watching? Every Sunday night right now, it's Succession, Jill. The show keeps getting better and better. I'm really loving the character that really never got much play these last few seasons, Willa, Connor's wife, new wife, I should say, really coming into her own. Love the scenes last weekend. No spoilers, please, because I was waiting until there were more episodes before I started, and I know everyone went crazy about episode three, so I did start to watch, but I haven't caught up yet. So no spoilers, please, for me or anybody else who hasn't seen it yet. I always wait until like the 90th minute of Mondays with Moshe on Instagram to talk about succession spoilers. So I will most certainly not do it on this podcast. I should also note in the streaming world, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel's final season, season five, premiered last week. I actually need to rewatch the last one, Jill. Some of these streaming shows, they wait so long in between seasons, you totally forget what happened. And so it's not like the olden days where you, you know, just took the summer off and then you had a new season in September. Sometimes you're waiting a year or two. So I, I think I might have to rewatch season four before I watch the last season of Maisel. What are you watching? I know we've talked about it before, but Daisy Jones and the Six on Amazon Prime. I have one episode left. It is so good. It really is. If you've noticed, Moshe, I've been up late at like 11, 1130, sending texts or responding to texts. If you're wondering why, it's because I, I can't stop watching the show. Yeah, I mean, un- until the show, I guess, you were, your bedtime was pretty solid 9 p.m. there, Jill. So those late night texts, I was like, what's keeping her up at night? I hope she's okay. And I guess it's just Daisy Jones and the Six, which, by the way, I should say, is a great show. What platform is it on again? Amazon. Amazon. They've done a really good job of adapting that book. Jill, what are you reading this weekend? Okay, so I'm back into my book phase, thanks to my book club. So when I was at the airport last week, I picked up the latest from Mitch Album, one of my favorite journalists and authors. It is called... The Stranger in the Lifeboat. I just finished it. I really enjoyed it. However, if you have not read Tuesdays with Maury yet, that is one of Album's first books. That is the one to start with. Truly life-changing, at least for me. Um, And then a quick shout out to something else that I am reading from the New York Times. It's an essay called The Secret to Ordering the Best Thing on the Menu. And I'll give a little bit of a spoiler. The author's advice, look for sleeper hits. Jill, what does he mean by sleeper hits? Okay, so a sleeper hit is like if you were going to a restaurant that's known for steak, don't necessarily get the steak. Get the thing on the menu that you're wondering why it's there because it's probably there because the chef just really likes it. Mm. And so it's probably really good. Okay, Mosh, what are you reading? So I am actually finishing Discipline is Destiny. It's a book by Ryan Holiday. He's also the author of The Daily Stoic. Uh, I'll be interviewing him for a podcast edition next week. So I'm I'm trying to get all read up on all of his work. Okay, we were just talking sleeper dishes. Uh, what are you reading this weekend? Jill, I'm in Chicago visiting family. It also happens to be my nephew's bar mitzvah. So congrats to Aiden this weekend. So while here, my mom actually just texted me just before we started taping the podcast. Are you in the mood for deep dish pizza? Which I have not had in a very long time. So, so there's some Lou Malnati's waiting for me at the end of this podcast. Is the answer to that ever no? No, nah, not <laughs> in the mood for the most delicious deep dish pizza around. Listen, it's very heavy. 
as some true, people will tell true, true. you. You can typically only have like one to two slices because it's like a quiche. And listen, it's an acquired thing. There, are, I know Chicagoans controversially who are like, I don't love Chicago pizza. I'm not allowed to say it in this city. But, you know, I love my thin crust pizza. And I think, you know, it's okay to like like both, but I haven't had it in a while. So when in Rome, Jill, I'm engaging in the in the festivity here. Well, Mazel Tov, Aiden, and the rest of your family. Thanks, Jill. I'll pass along your warm wishes to the nephew. <laughs> what are you eating this weekend? I have been on an English muffin kick ever since my vacation. So I decided to buy some organic English muffins from Rudy's. I felt very much like your wife. I felt like I was channeling her. I was finding like a cleaner, healthier version of of just Thomas's English muffins. So I found Rudy's English muffins and I've been really enjoying them. With jam or butter, Jill? Cream cheese. Oh, look at that. (laughs) From the three-point line. (laughs) Okay, this is going so off the rails. We want to thank everyone for listening to the Emo News Podcast. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode and review us in the App Store so we can continue to grow. And call me maybe. Yes, we have a voicemail line. We've been getting a whole bunch of messages, Jill. Uh, You can call us at 1-800-711-MOSH. 1-800-711-MOSH. S-H, uh, state your name, where you're from, and a question you have about the news. And we will make an attempt to answer your question on a future podcast. And don't forget to follow us, of course, over on Instagram, at Moshe, at M-O-S-H-E-H, uh, for the Mo News Instagram coverage 24-7. Jill, have a wonderful weekend. You too. Enjoy your family. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.